go. I'm going to be reading from Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This morning... Did you all get this? I gave you a blank sheet of paper. You were given it when you came in. Right? It's a contract with God. Right? So it's a contract with God. And, and I want you to fill your name in on the bottom of the paper where it says signature. So take it out if you have it. If you don't have it at the end of the service, you can go grab one. Make sure you get one on the way out. But I want you to, I want you to fill that out and I want you to put your signature on the bottom right now. The expectations of the contract will be given to you later. Yeah, a couple of lawyers are like, wait a second. <laughs> I thought about lawyers when I was saying this. They're like, I'm not signing anything. You have to sign it. Okay, you're in church. You're not in your, in your office. So you sign that and the expectations of the contract will be filled in later. We're in a series called Consumed. It's called Consumed. And we're on a quest to live every single day of our lives in the presence of God. Every single moment of our lives in the presence of God. And as I'm going through this series and as I write these sermons, I think to myself, man, this is, this is not easy for these folks. This isn't easy for me. This is not easy for us. This is one of those more challenging series, if you will, especially if you've been going to church your whole life, to be honest with you, because you settle in you get settled in. You know, you've got your religion all down. You come to church, but all of a sudden, you start to look at things like this and, and, and your mind starts to go, wait, I thought I had this all worked out, this whole spiritual part of my life worked out. And then this is kind of, you know, this throws a, a wrench into the works. So the day we gave our lives to Christ, that's what I want, why I wanted you to fill out that contract, the, gay, the day we gave our lives to Jesus Christ, we committed to serve him with our whole heart. Not with a half heart, not with a faint heart, but with a whole heart. With our whole heart. Giving ourselves completely over to him. God expects us to give every bit of our lives to him. Every single part of our day to him. And he makes no exceptions. Okay, it's not just, well, yeah, the pastor, I would assume that God would want you to give your whole life. And, but but, but the, the normal folks, you know, no, he makes absolutely no exceptions here. In the book of Romans, Paul provides basically a biblical framework for what it means to live our lives this way, to what it what it means to live sacrificially day to day totally for him. Paul is laying out the framework for us in Romans chapter in Romans chapter 12 here verses 1 and 2. And if it's God's desire for us to live this way, then we need to take a step back and ask ourselves, how do we do this? If it, if it's if it's our desire to live in the presence of God, then God expects all of me, not just part of me. See, this is where it gets challenging. You know, doing a little bit for God here and go to a Bible study, whatever else. Okay, I can do that. But all of a sudden you sit back and say, if I want to live in the presence of God, if I want to dwell in the presence of God, God expects all of me, not just part of me. 
that's the, that's a challenge, right? That that's definitely definitely a challenge, but it but it brings forth a transformation in our lives that draws us into the very presence of God. When we when we start thinking this way, when our minds start moving in this direction, it draws us into the presence of God. Seeking his presence calls us to sacrifice. It's a calling to sacrifice what we are so that we can become more than what we are now. It's, it's a calling that you would sacrifice what you are for what you could become. To offer, he says, you offer up our bodies. When he talks about, he says, offer up our bodies. It's Paul's way of, of saying that we need to give it all. We need to, it is a complete and utter surrender to God. It's it, our, whole, our whole lives. Offer up your bodies, he says, as a living sacrifice. See, most of us understand what it is to make a maybe a, a sacrifice when it comes to our giving, right? We last week we we did that. We we give our tithes and offer. We give our we give our tithes, you know, whatever ten percent and whatever we we give our percentage to the church. And then and then there's a time where we are asked to sacrifice. And last week was one of those times where I got up and said, "Hey, we need a freezer. And if we have this freezer, we're going to be able to do this, and we'll be profitable in our chicken farm." And people gave, and actually. We're on our way to our second freezer, just so you know. So we got the first freezer. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And as we as we got about two thousand dollars into the second freezer, I actually called and said, do you guys actually need a second freezer? Um, And they said, absolutely. Absolutely. Without question. We just didn't want to be greedy. So, you know, it's one of those. God does a a immeasurably more than all we can ever ask or imagine. So we got that. We're going to get the second freezer as well. So we have two freezers because people were willing to sacrifice. And I think we understand. We truly understand to a point. Most people do what it is to to sacrifice financially sometimes. But when it comes to this, when it comes to giving your whole life, when it comes to giving your whole being, when it comes to being totally committed, that is a totally different story. Okay? That's a totally different story. It is difficult enough for people to give money. Okay, when they say be sacrificially giving this to God so that other people's lives can be changed, so that the church can use those resources to impact other people's lives. But when you stand up here and start talking about giving your complete self to offer up your bodies, he says, completely giving yourself to God, that is a totally different story. When we talk about living in the presence of God, we're talking about a commitment of the whole person, not just little bits and pieces of that person, everything that person is, everything that person does. You see, according to Paul, anything less is not genuine worship. That's what he's saying. Anything less than what I'm describing here to Paul is not genuine worship. True worship is more than just saying a prayer before a meal. Right? True, really true, true worship is not just keeping the rules or following the rituals, you know, because early on, so many of you grew up in a church where if you just went by the rules in some denominations or you followed the rituals in other denominations, well, you were good. You went through the steps, right? You did this and you got confirmed and then you went this and you followed the rules and you didn't go see this kind of movie or whatever. And so you followed the rules, so you were fine. 
But Paul's saying it's so, it's so much more than just keeping the rules or following rituals. It's not, just, it's not just playing your favorite worship music in your car. It's not just downloading your, 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 your favorite podcast from whatever different pastors you listen to around the country. He's saying it's so much more than that. Real worship happens. It truly happens when we're willing to acknowledge that we're falling short sometimes and what we give to God. It's actually acknowledging our sin and then turning from our sin and then giving every piece of our lives completely and wholeheartedly to God, giving every part of who we are. Now, I'm not saying any of the things I just described were bad. Of course, we should pray before a meal and thank God for our meal. Of course, we want to we want to try to follow what the word of God says. And it's great to listen to worship music in the car and listen to podcasts. But we have to ask ourselves, is, is, that, is that all that God is asking of us? Is that all that's required of us? And we're talking about living in the presence of God, going from bondage, we talked about, right, a few, sermon, a few series ago, and now we're, we want to walk into the, to the promised land, which is the presence of God. You know, here's the thing. If you can live in the presence of God, your life will be totally transformed. And I mean your relationships will be totally transformed. I mean the overcoming the stresses and struggles of your life will be totally transformed. Dealing with issues that you, you, you never thought you could ever deal with in your life. Overcoming their, your past, whatever it may be. That can only happen, to be honest with you, when you're living in the presence of God. And that's what he's talking about here. Our problem, I think, in the 21st century church, and even before, is especially now, though, I believe we give our leftovers to God. And I believe we give our leftovers to God because we don't have a healthy respect for our Creator. There's not that healthy respect as there was maybe a little in the past for our Creator. So we, we kind of, we feel comfortable, we actually feel comfortable just giving God our leftovers. Well, I, I you know, I, I, I read this month, I read the Bible this month, and I, you know, I went to, you know, I, I listened to the thing on TV, and I, I you know, I, I, I come to church, and, and, and we kind of, we feel comfortable giving God our leftovers, and I think that's, that, that's something we really need to think through because here's the reality. We're talking about the presence of God. When a man or a woman finds themselves in the presence of God, they have no choice. They have no choice but to wholeheartedly surrender to his will and to his purpose. They, when, you, when you truly experience, we talk about mountaintop experience. I went on this missions trip and I, I got along with God and I was sitting by myself. And, and you have that experience with God where he speaks to you like he never spoke to you before. And he, he tells you things about your life and what he wants you to do. And you say, oh, if I could have that all the time. That's what I'm talking about. Having it all the time. Being in the presence of God, living in the presence of God. And when a man or a woman experiences that, they, they, they wholeheartedly give their self, they give themselves to God. When we're caught up in the splendor and the holiness of God, we have no choice, honestly, but to fall to our knees and surrender all, not some. I surrender all, I surrender all, right? That's what we sing, I surrender all. What does that mean, I surrender all? 
See, when you when you're in the presence of God, when you live in the presence of God, you have no choice but to fall to your knees and surrender all. And I'm saying again, not just some. I'll give some of myself to God. I give some of myself over here. I give some of myself over here. And then, you know, then it's then it's God's turn to get a little bit of me. You know, you know, Christmas, Easter, you know, when I when something bad happens and we sing, you know, Amazing Grace and things like that, that, you know, then I I feel the presence of God. And what I'm saying to you is I feel bad if if the only time you feel the presence of God is when you're on a missions trip or when something really difficult happens and someone sings a song, you get goosebumps. I'm saying we should live in the presence of God all, all the time. That should be who we are, not giving God our leftovers, but giving God our all. I surrender all. I just don't surrender some. Verse one, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. We offer ourselves to God because of his mercy, in view of God's mercy. When, when we recognize what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, when we truly come to an understanding of what God has done for us, the grace he has given us, the mercy he has given us, our response to him should be complete and utter surrender. See, here's the thing. Jesus, Jesus is the lover of our souls, right? He is the amazing grace giver. He brings the dead to life. He, he sets the captives free. He gives strength to the weary and to the weak. Jesus is the all in all. He gives all of that to us. And sometimes, again, I said this last week, but I think, honestly, sometimes in our lives, we take that for granted. No, the grace of God, yeah, save me and all that, that's good. See, Jesus gave his life for us. Jesus Christ sacrificed his life for us. His mercy is the ultimate gift. If all we ever had in this life is that, we should be satisfied. We talked about it last week, right? I have found the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He gives me strength through his grace. He gives me strength through his mercy. Because of what Jesus Christ did for me, I have the ability to overcome my fears. I have the ability to overcome my past. I have the ability to overcome anything the enemy puts in my way. Why? Because of his mercy. Because of his mercy. This is what Paul is saying. His mercy and grace should be enough. His mercy and his grace, without anything else said, should be enough to motivate us to give our whole lives to him. Paul continues by saying, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. A living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. When we hear the phrase, a living sacrifice... When we hear that phrase, we should be thinking of the Old Testament. We should be thinking of Old Testament sacrifice because that's what Paul had in mind here. See, in the Old Testament, what they would do, they would worship God by animal sacrifices. But then Jesus comes along in the New Testament. He says, what I want you to do, what I'm asking of Jeff Greer, what I'm asking of my followers is to give your whole self, to offer our very lives. And obviously, he's not saying to take our lives. That's not what he's asking us to do. He doesn't want us to take our lives. 
I mean, if, if that ever comes to that point, which I don't think it'll be for anyone in this room. But if we ever need to do that, maybe that's something we can do. But that's not what Jesus is really asking us here. He, he wants us to, to, to give our lives in service to him. He wants us to give our whole lives, every moment of our lives, in service to him. See, I serve God. I, I think about this. People say, well, why, you know, you, you, do you serve God because you're afraid if you don't or whatever? I, I don't serve God because I'm afraid that he's going to do something to me. That's not, that's not really what motivates me. I know I am saved. I know I'm going to be with him for eternity. So my fear does not motivate me to do these things. I serve God because I love him so much because of his mercy and his grace. I serve others because I love him. Because of what he has done for me. That's why I serve. And there's no, there is no greater joy in my life. There's nothing else that I would ever desire to do. Understanding what he has done for me. There's no greater joy. There's no greater privilege. There's no greater purpose than serving God with my whole life and my whole heart. Do I do it personally? Do I do it perfectly all the time? Absolutely not. Do I fall short? I certainly do. But it is my desire, it is my goal, it should be all of our goals to give everything that we have at all times to our Savior who's done so much for us. When Paul uses the term body here, he says, your body, it means every part of who you are. Here, listen to these words, every part of who you are. The Bible, I love the Bible because I'm this way too, but I shouldn't do it because I'm only a, I'm a human and, and I shouldn't use phrases like this. But the Bible uses every and all, okay? There's sweeping and complete. And when he says, when he says, the, when he talks about body here, he's talking about, he's talking about every part of who we are. We should be, we should be giving all of our gifts and all of our talents Okay, in all of our abilities, in all of our personality, and and, and, and all of our interests, and in, in all of our strength, all of our strength to God. Now, remember in in in, in Luke chapter ten and verse twenty seven, it says this, right? Love your love the Lord your God with all. And I want you to just stop for a moment and listen to the word all. All. What is the in your mind? What does the word all mean? If anybody's confused what all means after the service, come and ask me and I'll give you a definition of all. What does all mean? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of it, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength, all of it. Love him with all of it, everything you are. That's what Paul is saying here. Love God with your whole being, everything you are. See, I'll get into that in a couple of minutes, but we get wrapped up sometimes in compartment or great at compartmentalizing. I think women might be a little better at kind of grasping these concepts because men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti, right? Men have like compart- they compartmentalize things. Women can like spaghetti can roll things into each other and they can tie things together and their brains a little better. And that's what God is saying. All tie it all together here. Everything belongs to me. When we ask Christ to come into our lives, we chose to serve him with everything that we are. I, there's a passage that I absolutely love. When I first read it, I was like, wait, this is really, really cool. All right. 
When it, and, and, when I, and as I was going through this, I thought, no, this is a great passage. It's Exodus chapter 21, verses 5 and 6. It says this, But if a servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost of doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his servant for life. And that's the way I look at my life. That was a choice. I made a choice. Every when you asked Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior of your life, you made a choice to be obedient to him, to serve him for life. There were two living sacrifices in the Bible, Isaac and Jesus. Both of them, okay, two living sacrifices, both were acts of worship. And both of us, both of them give us an understanding of what it means to be a living sacrifice. Isaac willingly put himself on the altar and was willing to die, okay, out of obedience to God, willing to do that. God, that was not God's plan. God then replaced Isaac with a a ram, so he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to, he didn't have to experience that. And when I was, when I was walking through this, I thought to myself, see, that's Isaac, but if not, his but if not moment, right? Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? King Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to we're not going to serve you because God's going to rescue us. But even if he does not, but if not, that was Isaac's but if not moment. Here's the reality. Isaac, Isaac truly died to self. He died to self. So when he when he when he when he got off of that altar, he truly was a living sacrifice. He was willing to die. He was and he truly did in that situation die completely to self, willing to give all that he has, all that he is, his very life. And he died to self. So he's a great example of what it means to be a living sacrifice. The second person is Jesus, and he is the ultimate living sacrifice because Jesus Christ was willing to literally die on a cross and did die on a cross for us. He died for us. He died as a sacrificial offering for our sin in obedience to God's will. I was reading as I was reading this week, I came across a story. It's about a little boy and a Scottish pastor. And the uh, the Scottish pastor was, you know, he's in a, he's not in a huge church. And this was a while back. And and the deacons come to him and they say, listen, uh, we need to sit down and talk to you. Not a lot of people have come to Christ through your ministry this past year. And so they were going to sit down. And they were basically going to remove him from his position and put someone else in there because they said, hey, you know, if you if you look at this year, your, your ministry has not produced any converts. So we're going to have to bring someone else in. And and and, and so what do you have to say for yourself? And the pastor said, you know, I, I got to be honest with you. It has been a lean year. Not a lot of people have come to Christ. I'd be saying to myself, <laughs> hey, look at why don't you turn. Turn your finger around and point at yourself, too. Right. Biblical standpoint. But pastor said, pastor said, you know, you're right. It's been a lean year for people coming to Christ. But don't forget about we Bobby, he says. We Bobby. And the the deacons had forgotten that we Bobby had come to Christ uh, in that year. Little Bobby came from a, a, um, a really stalwart Christian family. And during that year, during that year, when we Bobby got saved, 
there was a missions meeting at the church, at their church. And during that missions meeting, they decided they're going to pass around the offering plate. And we, Bobby, was standing there. And when the offering plate came around, the usher came around. Bobby, little Bobby said to the usher, can you please put the plate on the floor? And he put the plate on the floor and little Bobby said to the usher, I have nothing to give God except myself. And he stood with his bare feet in the offering plate. Amen is right. And see, Bobby or Robert Moffat really meant it. Because, and I, I can't get into the whole story this morning, but I wish I could. It's a, it doesn't really go along with everything we're talking about. But I want you to go back and look up Robert Moffat and look at his life. But Robert Moffat ended up becoming a very famous missionary and Bible translator in South Africa. But you've got to read his whole life. I mean, simply amazing. He was willing to give. He didn't have the money. He didn't have anything to give. And this little boy, and he meant it because look at his life. Going forward, he stepped into the offering plate with his bare feet and said, I have nothing to give to God but myself. There it is in a nutshell. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. I have nothing to give of myself, but that's all God wants is he wants all of you. He wants every single one of us, not just to reach in our pockets and dig deep and, and give and give and all those kinds of things financially. That's a, that's important. That's a part of who we are. But he wants more than that. He wants every piece of who we are. That's what Paul had in mind when he instructed the church at Rome, to offer up their bodies as a living sacrifice. Can you imagine reading that? I want you to offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Offer up your bodies. A living sacrifice means we give everything of ourselves every day to God. Listen, living implies life. Follow my logic here. Living implies life. Life is an everyday experience. Follow me? Living sacrifice. Living implies life. Life is an everyday experience. Life is an every moment experience. So, in, in other words, you can't... Offering ourselves to God on a Sunday morning for an hour, okay, for an hour, an hour and a half, and thinking that you're done, that you've done your duty, is not going to cut it. That's not going to cut it. A living sacrifice means living in the presence of God every single moment. Is that hard? You are darn right it's hard. You know, for me, I'm going through this every day. I'm thinking about it all the time. And so all the time, every time I get myself in different situations, or I have to deal with someone or I'm now it's like I did this before, but now it's like amplified how, you know, God, you're in my I want to be in the presence of God in every situation I find myself in. How would Jesus handle this situation? What does the word of God say about this situation? How do I I I am getting emotionally charged in this other situation? How do I allow God to enter into the presence of my life in such a way that he calms my emotions and that I don't say things that I shouldn't say? That cannot happen on Sunday morning for one hour, an hour and 15 minutes. We Listen, you don't live on Sunday morning, okay, like living 
implies life. Life is an everyday experience. Isn't all the time, every moment experience. You, you don't live, according to Paul here, you don't live on Sunday mornings and then not live throughout the week and then come back to life on Sunday morning. That makes sense? Follow the logic here. That's the mentality of, well, now I'm in church. I live for God. Now I'm going to Bible study and I'm living. What happened in between there? Well, you know, I don't know about that. You know, I'm live for God then. When I'm driving from here to here and someone cuts me off, I'm like, you know what I'm saying? No, you're, you're, in, you're in the presence of God every moment of your life. That's what he's talking about here. See, here's, a, here's one. It's Mother's Day. You're not a mom from nine to five Monday through Friday, are you? Moms. You're not a, you are not, I am, I don't need to ask you the question. You're not a mom just from nine to five Monday through Friday. You're a mom at 12 o'clock at night. You're a mom at three o'clock in the morning. You're a mom at five o'clock in the morning. You're a mom when your kid is 50 or 60 years old, right? And they get sick. You're still a mom. You, well, now they're older. Now off you go. You know what I mean? You're still a mom. You're, you're a mom all the time. There is no nine to five kind of thing. As long as you have breath, as long as you are breathing in and out, and even beyond that, right, when you get to go to heaven, you're, you're still, you are a mom. My mom, the last conversation I had with my mom, this is this past week, my mom tells me, she says, and if she's listening, she's going to listen to these things sometimes, so this, I'm saying this in total love because my mom loves me so much, all right? My mom says, um, we're going to fly to Alaska at the end of this month. So my mom says, make sure you wear your seatbelt on the plane. A lot of people recently have been killed because they're not wearing their seatbelts because they hit dead air. You know, when a plane drops and they're the ones who go slamming against the ceiling and drop down and they drop dead. You make sure you wear your... I'm 54 years old. Okay. My mother's reading things about dead air and making sure that when I get on that plane, she wants to know that I have my seatbelt on because there might be dead air in Alaska, more dead air in Alaska than there is in other places, right? My mom has on her phone what the weather is in Cincinnati and different places. And if it's in Cincinnati, it's in the wintertime, it's really cold. I'm driving down the road in the morning. My mom calls me. I see that it's about 20 degrees. Do you have a coat? Are you wearing your coat? I'm a 54-year-old man if I don't want to wear a coat. You know what I mean? Your, mom's, your mom can walk into a room and say, you're cold. How do you know I'm cold? Your mom decides you're cold. You have to put something on. You, 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 listen, you, you are not just a mom sometimes. You're a mom all the time. You're not just a Christian sometimes. You're a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ all the time. All the time. A living sacrifice is a sacrifice that is constantly active. It is constantly active. This means worship can occur in the sanctuary, right? It occurs in the sanctuary. Here we are in the sanctuary. But it also occurs, it can also occur when you're at work. I'm going to church to worship you're going to, that's what you, I'm going to go to church to worship. You can also say, I'm going to go to school 
this morning and worship all day long. I'm going to go to the office and I'm going to worship. I'm going to go to the gym and worship. I'm going to go on the court and worship. I'm going to go and do this activity and worship. You can say that just as much as you can say, I'm going to go to church this morning, Sunday morning to worship. You can say work in the Bible is worship. Work didn't come after the fall. It became it came before the fall. They were doing, they were worshiping God by working. Work is worship. We can worship God every single day, every hour, every moment of our lives. Worship affects everything we do, everywhere we are, at all times. Think about it for yourself. Do you have selective Christianity? Do you thank and praise and worship God on Sunday mornings, but then when you leave here, you leave it here? You're talking about being in the presence of God. What I'm saying is you need to take this with you. You need it. What you're feeling, what you're, what you're experiencing when you're worshiping God in this place needs to be taken out of this place with you. Remember our mantra, if it's not sinful, it's... Now, see, only so some people have missed this because they haven't been here. Well, you haven't been here when I said this. But if it's not sinful, it's what? Right. If it's not sinful, it's sacred. Right. So if you're going to work and not doing something sinful, then you can be going to work and doing something sacred. If you're going to play your sport and you're not doing something sinful, then you're going to play your sport and you can do something Right. You can worship God in everything you do. You can worship God in every moment of your day. God created everything. Right. Satan creates nothing. Satan only distorts what God created. So everything that's not sinful is sacred. There's no such, you know, sacred and secular. Mm -mm, That's not a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview says things are either sinful or they're sacred. So everything we do, we can do to worship God. Being in the presence of God is not just a church activity, it is a life activity. I read this quote I read this quote by A.W. Tozer. He said, if you will not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship God one day a week. Let that just, I, I thought, holy moly. If you will not worship God seven days a week, he says, you do not worship God one day a week. So Paul says in verse 2, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. When we give our, ourselves to God, when we truly give ourselves to God, it reflects in how we live. Part of the problem with our modern Christianity is that in our culture, we used to, in a church, this is my opinion, try to be earlier on, maybe 15, 20 years ago, you got this whole idea, we want to be relevant to our culture. Nothing wrong with that at all. We want to be seeker sensitive. Nothing, nothing, no concern there whatsoever. But see, the problem has become that we no longer just looking to be relevant, but we are beginning to conform to our culture. He says, he says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Our problem is that we're no longer just trying to be relevant or seeker sensitive. In many cases, we conform to the culture. Some of the most popular people that you read and listen to are, are seriously going off the deep end a little bit when it comes to when it comes to. K 
caving to social pressure. And they and their phrases you're going to hear are like, well, you know, I don't see how God would. I just don't see how God would want someone not to be able to do this or that because how could or I don't I just don't think or I just don't feel or I just don't see how. What does this say? Okay, my my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. So so you just don't think or you just don't feel you just don't see how God couldn't say if this and that and the other thing, it's all fine and dandy. You know why? Because I'm more concerned about how many people are showing up to church and more concerned about all those other things. And all of a sudden they're going through sometimes they go and understand pastors are human beings. And if they're going through their own spiritual crisis, they're taking you on the trip with them. They're going through their own spiritual crisis in their minds trying to figure out. The problem is they're taking you on their journey with them. Stay on this path. Right? Stay on this path. As much as I love, I, I love pastor, I'm a pastor, much as I love them, speakers, whatever else, they're still human beings. And when you start hearing things, well, I just don't think God and all this kind of thing. Paul is telling us, Paul is, is telling us, we, if we want to be in the presence of God, we can not conform. You cannot conform to the pattern of this world. We cannot give in to social pressure on every social issue that comes up because, well, I don't see how God could. That's what Paul is saying. You want to leave the presence of God? Start conforming to the image of the culture around you. And then see how you hold up when the real struggles of life come. People who live in the presence of God are transformed people. They are transformed. It's reflected. It it is truly reflected in the way they walk, in the way they talk, in the way they think. They are transformed. You can see it in their lives. When we give, when we live in the presence of God, when we truly live in the presence, when we live in the presence of God, we we, we are not, it's not a self-centeredness. It's a Christ-centeredness. When we are living in the presence of God, we become, we become Christ-centered. We focus on what he has called us to do. A Christian does not allow themselves to be pressured by the world into conforming to what the world wants them to do. We are not pressured by the world to change, but we only submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God as he influences us to change. But a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, Paul is saying, cannot be conformed, should not conform, or should not be pressured to change. We should only change as we are called to by the Holy Spirit of God, by God's word. Rather than allow the world to squeeze us into its mold, We allow Christ to shape us into his likeness. That's what a Christian does. We don't get squeezed into the mold of what the world wants us to be. Paul is saying we allow ourselves through Christ. We we allow Christ to shape us into his likeness. When a believer lives in the very presence of God and worships God with integrity... And truly worships God with their whole heart and with integrity, they become holy and pleasing to God. That's what Paul's saying. When we live in his presence, when we worship him with integrity, when we will not conform, we become holy and pleasing to God. When we gave our lives to Christ, we signed a contract. 
right? We signed a contract that said we are going to obey God's word regardless of the cost, regardless of the pressure. We placed, honestly, we placed our ear on the doorpost, all right? And we were sealed by God. And we, give, we, had give, we have given our whole lives to him. We have given everything to him. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. That's what it means because we chose to follow Jesus Christ, not conform to the pattern of this world, and to live wholeheartedly every moment, every breath of our lives for him. That's what it means to live in the presence of God. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. So I want you to take that contract that you have. I want you to take it home. And I want you to put it in a prominent place. I want you to put it up in a prominent place. And then as God, through his word and spirit, through his word and spirit, not what you hear, not what you heard in the podcast, whatever else, uh, through his word and through his spirit, when God encourages you, when God shows you what he wants for you to do, what he is calling you to do, I want you to write that down. Well, I thought about myself, the best place to put this, honestly, is right here in the front of your Bible, because honestly, that's what he wants from us. This is what he wants from us, to be a living sacrifice. And as God speaks to your heart through his word and God speaks to your heart through his spirit, I want you to write down and fill in that contract. And then, then, for me and for you, I want us to write it down and I want us to live it out. Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you for the opportunity we have to be here together. Thanks, Lord, for who you are and what you mean in each of our lives. And I pray, dear God, as hard as this is, help us to take just another step. Help us actually, Lord, to take a step into that offering plate. We say to you this morning with humble hearts, knowing it only comes from your strength that you give us, but we say to you with humble hearts, We don't have a lot to give, Lord, but what we have, we're going to give to you. We want to give our lives to you. We want to give ourselves to you. Thank you for being a God who loves us. Thank you for being a God who will help us. Thank you for being a God who will strengthen us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for everything you've done for us. And in response to that, may we offer up our bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to you. May this be our spiritual act of worship this morning, next week, next month, next year, and our entire lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. Happy Mother's Day.